I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to the How Social Are You podcast, where we ask the question, are we more or less social because of social media? This is Mark Lindheimer, and you're listening to podcast episode number 17. Today, we're excited to have award-winning journalist, movie critic, and host of the Hollywood in Toto podcast, Christian Toto. So let's get started. Hello, Christian. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm so glad we were able to connect. We found each other on that social media platform, Twitter, and um, have some common interests. I was uh, really excited that we were able to connect on on direct message and and kind of start to build a little bit of a relationship. And I, you know, I'm glad you agreed to join the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, you know, you sharing your story um, with with our listeners. And you know, why don't we start with that? Why don't you start with a little bit of your background and you know what brought you to you know your your social media uh, brand today. Sure. Well, you know, I was a recovering art major from college and I went into journalism and things were going quite well. I worked in both Pittsburgh and D.C. And then I left D.C. to go to Denver. And that was around this time where, frankly, journalism was either changing or collapsing, depending on your point of view. And so I basically had to kind of restructure my career and figure out how I'm going to keep on being a journalist while things were with so much change in this arena. And I ended up doing a couple of things. One is I became person. So I was doing freelance writing, but also I realized that the, I guess the sort of journalism is, is segmenting in a way. And that while there are a zillion entertainment reporters, which is basically what I do, there are very, very few people who cover entertainment from the right of center perspective. So I decided frankly to embrace that because it was sort of part of who I am. It's how I saw things. And I just saw a marketplace that didn't have many people who were reviewing films from the right. So that was sort of the branch I took. And I ended up working for a couple of different companies, including Breitbart and LifeSet. And along the way, you know, you always have jobs where you kind of wish you could do your own thing. And maybe you didn't agree with the boss and everything. And, you know, I think that's a really common complaint. And eventually I said, hey, kind of want to start my own thing, kind of create my own niche. And that's when I created my website, HollywoodInToto.com. And of course, along the way, 
social media. And one of the great things about social media and the way we look today is that you can go online and listen to wonderful podcasts like yours and really kind of get a almost an education in this area where maybe, you know, it wasn't applicable when I was in college, but it sure as heck is applicable now. So that's what I've been doing. I, you know, I, I listen to podcasts almost every day. I read up as many articles as possible. I check out sort of the leaders in the field. Surely I've kind of educated myself on what to do, and what not to do on social media. And so I don't think I know, have all the answers, but at the same time, I really feel like I've established what I should be doing to kind of build up my brand and my traffic. That's, that's outstanding. I think it's really so interesting how, you know, you saw kind of the horizon of journalism, especially in the entertainment world and this path to the digital world, right? You know, um, you're probably in print journalism and then, you know, you saw, you know, Hey, I can set up a website. I can start, Mm -hmm. you know, creating my own uh, content. I can start creating, you know, attracting my own traffic. And, you know, then social media comes along and that gives you the ability to to echo out your, you know, your content and create more of a following. I mean, that's exactly how I found you. You know, you posted something mm-hmm. that I thought was interesting, a, a review of a of a movie or, or something along the entertainment field. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. I'm like, wow, this guy's got a really interesting point of view. I really want to follow. And then when you, you know, and I read your bio and, you know, came out that you were, you were uh, involved with Breitbart. I'm like, okay, well, I really even more so want to learn about this perspective. So I think that's really cool the way you followed that path. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about social media. You know, you said you had your website and then social media kind of uh, dovetailed with that. What was the first social media platform you got involved with? Well, I think Facebook was easier. The barrier to entry was almost non-existent. So that was comfortable. And frankly, I was dealing with it in a, hey, I want to share pictures with my friends kind of view. So it was a pretty easy transition to go from that and being genuinely social in a sort of a, not a professional way to all of a sudden saying, hey, I need to kind of build up a following. I need to find like-minded souls. And I also need to kind of advertise myself, frankly. So I have a personal page and I've got a business page. And I definitely do keep them separate even though there's a little bit of bleeding here and there. And when it comes to my personal page, I make sure it's not very political at all, frankly. But when it comes to my professional page, that's part of my brand. So I don't, I don't shy away from that. And uh, it's part of what people should expect from me. And hopefully they'll either agree or respectfully disagree. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I've been, you know, reading up lately a lot about, you know, personal branding. And one of the things that, that this one writer um, I follow, his name's Russell Brunson. He's not really a writer. He's more of a, you know, internet marketing guru. And he talks about the concept of polarity and, you know, you, to, to attract an audience, you really shouldn't try to be all things to all people. You know, Mm -hmm. you should be somewhat polarizing. And what I've found is that the people that have been most effective at drawing an audience within the social media world have been, you know, polarizing that, you know, just look at Trump, you know, he couldn't be more polarizing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he could if he wanted to, but you know, it's, it's a way to attract like-minded thinkers, but also you get people from the other side that are interested in your perspective only because they disagree. And so, you know, it sounds to me like you, you've on your business page taken that approach um, to really stand on what you stand for and in, in the process, uh, have you found it to be effective in, in the attractive of your, uh, the attraction of your audience? 
Yeah, to a certain degree. You know, a, a couple of things. One of the things I try to do is that I'm a conservative entertainment reporter, but I don't want to be vicious or vile. I don't want to be a name caller. And frankly, you get more attention if you're a little bit more vicious, if you're a little bit more you know, excitable. And yet I still am a journalist at the end of the day, and I don't want to be irresponsible and I don't want to be outrageous just for outrageous sake, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. So I, I really, I try to project my brand in a very specific way. I will not insult an actor's appearance or weight. Uh, I will not use profanity. Um, I may report on profanity, but I, I try to kind of bleep it out in a sense. So I'm trying to be kind of, res- kind of um, project a right of center viewpoint, but from a respectful fashion. And, you know, maybe it's the red meat folks who will thrive on, on social media. That's okay. They may have bigger followings than me, but I, I really want my people who follow me, I want them to trust me, to respect me and to know I'm not just going to make up stuff because it sort of a, a, agrees with my worldview. And so that's a, a really part of my branding, which I do carry on, on, you know, on Twitter and Facebook. I think that's great. And I honestly try to do the same thing with my podcast and my Twitter you know, I tend to be a lot more low key. I don't want to be outrageous or there's plenty of people out there that are outrageous. Um, yeah. I like to share information that I think has value that comes from a, a you know, right of center perspective. It's more uplifting and positive and, um, you know, brings some level of information. And from a journalist perspective, you know, what you're doing is really valuable because you're, you're looking at through a true journalistic perspective. You know, you're not trying to shock people into coming and seeing what you're, what you're writing. You know, you're just being straightforward and honest and, and using the tools that are available to you, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, with all the noise about fake news, I, I don't want to, I want to be, I want to be uh, credible. Now, I'm sure I've made mistakes in my reporting, but it certainly wasn't on purpose and it, you know, if I make a mistake or if I'm called on it, I will you know update it or, or change what I've written with an editor's note. But yeah, that that's important. You know, and I, I think even now, frankly, selfishly speaking, I, I'm hoping that may separate me from some of my peers is that I'm not going to run with stuff that maybe is, is thinly sourced. Remember, there was a, um, I think I found on Facebook from a fairly famous screenwriter, but his Facebook page wasn't verified and I was dying to run it because it was kind of inflammatory and I thought I'd get some good clicks out of it. But, you know, I held my tongue because I didn't, I couldn't know it was surely, it was truly that person and other people ran with it. So I, I, I want to, I don't want to just, you know, run things. There, I mean, there are so many fraudulent items on social media or even just on the web itself. And I don't want to be that guy or gal who just puts stuff out there because it agrees with my, it kind of aligns with my beliefs. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be really verified. Yeah, I think uh, the the whole, you know, um, fire ready aim uh, <laughs> type of journalism, it, the conversation is actually uh, starting to happen. I don't know if you saw Sean Spicer's uh, press conference yesterday, but he had a very honest discussion with some of the questioners uh, from the press about, you know, what is truth, you know, reporting the truth. And if, if you're doing, he was literally asked, you know, would you, you know, do you report the truth to us? And Uh is it your goal to always be truthful and to always tell the truth? And he said, absolutely. And he turned it on them and said, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, 
tweets that have been put out and information that ended up not being true. Where's the apology? You know, Mm -hmm. my intent is to give you as much truth based on the knowledge and information that I have. And if I need to make a correction or make, make a, uh, you know, a retraction or, or make an adjustment, I will do so. You know, that's my commitment to you, but I expect the same from you, the press. And I thought that was really interesting to have that honest discussion about, you know, what is becoming fake news or how is, you know, fake news perpetuated or maybe information that needs to be retracted or, or commented upon. And, and um, you know, you're already ahead of that curve by, you know, treating things carefully and making sure they're verified before you, you retweet, which is hopefully a, a practice that uh, more people will start to, you know, uh, bring into their, you know, their social media feeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, social media can be so tricky. I mean, I, I followed some people yesterday on Facebook and they reported something about Donald Trump regarding a, a proclamation for a holiday. And there was a lot of outrage surrounding it. And I, just to find out if it was true, if there was more to the story and Snopes, I think it was Snopes.com saying that, that President Obama had done something similar. So it wasn't as outrageous as it, as it seemed. And I think that's the kind of perspective and context we need. And sometimes when you see a, a, a Facebook meme that is funny or challenging or fiery or you know outrageous, everyone needs to kind of just take a beat. And especially in today's media world, it's like you have to kind of wait and see if it's true, check it out. Because everyone's rushing to be first. Sometimes you, you rush to be the wrong person first. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a rush to clicks and, yeah. and views and impressions. And uh, there, there needs to be some restraint uh, in this, you know, hypercritical world we live in. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. social media is such a powerful platform for, you know, gathering information and disseminating, disseminating information, but it also can do a lot of damage if we're not careful. Um, the, you know, I saw some of your, tweets and, and John Nolte's tweets uh, about the Saturday Night Live writer who mm-hmm. was suspended, you know, for the tweet that she put out. And that's a really interesting question, you know, from a social media perspective, you know, was it an attack, a, an attack on Trump's kid, on Baron Trump? You know, was it humor? Um, was it out of line? Should she have been fired or, or suspended? It really created a lot of discourse that I thought was kind of interesting because there were a lot of people, you know, that wanted her burned at the stake for doing that. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, what's your, your thinking on that? Well, I mean, that person wasn't the first one to be punished for a tweet. I mean, we've seen that time and time again. I think it was the comedian Gilbert Gottfried got fired from his Affleck account for sending out sort of a tasteless tweet following, I believe it was a Japanese tsunami. So, I mean, this this happens often. This is not an isolated incident. My personal take is I wish that everyone would take a breath and accept an apology and we could all move on. And, and the person who wrote that, I think it was Katie Rich, could learn from this situation. But that's not where we are as a culture right now. And frankly, I think conservatives see that and go, well, we need a scalp here because you would take our scalp. And I think it becomes sort of a, we've got to keep things equal and we've got to sort of attack when we're attacked and vice versa. So I mean, wishes it wasn't that way that, you know, we're, we're all capable of making mistakes and no one was physically hurt, but that's how our social media culture works. Though you can get fired for the wrong tweet if you say the wrong thing. And frankly, I think it's a good thing that in our culture, the, the kids of, of, uh, 
off limits. They should be. Baron Trump is 10 and didn't run for office. His daddy did. And it's not his fault that daddy is right or wrong. So I, I think as a culture, I, I, I uphold those sort of lines in the sand. And the same with Obama's children. They, they should not have been attacked or mocked. And I think for the most part, they weren't. I think, they, I think people kind of held their fire, rightly so. So that's just my take on it. But the bottom line is, that in 2017, if you tweet the wrong thing, you can be fired. There's no question about that. Yeah, there is no question about that. And I think it's instructive um, that tweets or posts or retweeting have consequences. And it hopefully will, you, you, you know, you said it, take, you know, take a beat, pause for a minute before, you know, taking that action, sending that tweet, retreating. I always try to do that before I send something out, you know, yeah. is this appropriate? Is there going to be value? Am I going to bring value to, to my followers? And it's a great point. I yeah, mean, this is not just being uh, on Twitter. This is your brand is at stake. And what you tweet has consequences. And you need to think about every, you know, I, mean, I think it's a good practice to think about every tweet to give it that 10 to 20 second pause. We go, wait a minute, what's the point here? What, what value am I bringing? Um, and is the, are the repercussions worth it? Even if you know it's going to get a lot of retweets and a lot of activity, there's also the, the sort of the fallout from that. Yeah, it's, it really is, I think, a great uh, point in social media, that concept of a pause and, and thinking about the, you know, the effects. So um, great value there. I, I really appreciate that. So what it's do you find? Like drunk dialing ex-girlfriend. Just don't do it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, what, what do you see as kind of from your perspective in the, in the entertainment space, what do you see as the topics, uh, you know, we hear about culture wars and I'm really interested in, in, you know, being right of center, how, you know, that uh, Breitbart's famous quote that, you know, politics is downstream of culture. Mm-hmm. Do you have kind of a take on that being so, you know, entertainment is culture, right? It's, it drives yeah. culture. Um, do you see an evolution, you know, over, um, you know, 2017 and beyond in social media and entertainment, you know, any kind of trends that, that will impact, um, you know, culture, uh, politics and vice versa uh, as we go forward? Well, it's hard to say, you know, personally, I feel like in the last few months I've gotten more, uh, I guess you could say aggressive on Twitter and it's often exposing hypocrisy or what I think is hypocrisy. And I think, you know, I don't want to alienate people per se, but at the same time, if the media is treating an entertainer differently based on his or her political platform, I think that's notable and I think that one of the, you know, I've been very, very skeptical of Donald Trump all the way from his, the, the primary soul today. But I think the one thing he does that I think a lot of right of center folks should do is fight back. Now, I think you have to fight back effectively. I think you have to kind of have the facts on your side. And I think you have to do so. You know, I'm not going to go into a screeching rant filled with profanity. It's not what I do. I think you lose people that way. But I do think that as we enter 2017, that many more people may follow Trump's lead in being aggressive of kind of taking the fight to people instead of kind of withstanding all the slings and arrows say, Hey, wait a minute. You just called me this thing on Twitter, but a week ago you defended the opposite. I mean, I think things could head. And again, it's, it's tricky. You've got to do it right. And I don't always do it right. That's for sure. But I, I think people on the right should be selectively pugnacious about that. No, I agree. And I think that, you know, in the, in the entertainment world, 
especially on big topics, um, you know, important topics like the march this last weekend, the inauguration, the election, things like that, that, you know, to be able to point out, you know, the double standard or hypocrisy is important. And, you know, to have facts to back it up is also uh, important. And when you think about, you know, the protected nature of celebrity and entertainment, entertainment and entertainers, you know, we're all just people, you know, we're, we're all trying to, I think, get along in this world, but I think it's good to stand up for what you believe as long mm-hmm. as you can back it up with solid information. And I think nobody does it better than Trump. You know, nobody fights back better than him. And yeah. to me as a, as a conservative, you know, um, it, I, it, I think it's great to see. I think it's, uh, you know, great to see. I had a conversation with my daughter really early on in the election before even he'd won the nomination. And she's like, you're not going to vote for him, are you? And I said, I just want to win. And I don't think she really understood what that meant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was tired of losing and I was tired of, of our candidates not fighting back and not standing up to the, the attacks. And, you know, he's shown a new way to do that. And he's also been able to amass an enormous social media following on every platform and his ability to bypass, you know, the, the mainstream media is really remarkable. I don't know that anybody will ever be able to replicate that. Yeah. We'll we'll look back on this period and it'll be a turning point from that perspective. A a couple of quick kind of related thoughts. One is just to kind of highlight a hypocrisy on, on Twitter uh, Rob Schneider recently came out against sort of uh, gently critical of Representative John Lewis about a recent uh, stance he took. And the response from the media was, well, why should we listen to a comedian about this? Same outlets were touting Chelsea Handler as sort of a soothsayer on politics. So there's that. And also, you know, one of things I've noticed about following social media is that the biggest stars of today in Hollywood, you could argue, are um, Kevin Hart, the comedian, and uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, to media footprint, it's very uplifting. It's positive. It's funny. It's inspirational. And they don't get in the muck when it comes to political matters. And I, I have to say, I think that's a, one of many reasons why they're very successful. So, you know, when we talk about sort of fighting, fighting back and, and being pugnacious, at the same time, there is something to be said from a brand point of view of being uplifting and powerful and staying above the fray. And I think for Hollywood actors, that's even more important than ever. So, you know, listen, uh, Kevin Hart's a funny guy. I don't begrudge him his fame at all. and He deserves it. But I think a small part of that fame may be the fact that he is so is so charming on social media. No, I absolutely agree. He's also very honest and real about mm-hmm. his story and all of his flaws. You know, he doesn't claim to be perfect by any stretch. And he brings humor to that. And, mm-hmm. and I think that people appreciate um, kind of the self-deprecating nature, you know, he allows himself to be the butt of the joke because he's short yeah. or, you know, because he might've made some mistakes in his past. And I think that's really effective and engaging and endearing um, as a brand on social media. And mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. You know, being consistent and, you know, staying above the fray, but delivering entertainment and value is really important. And it can cross a lot of different boundaries, uh, with regards to um, audience, and I do follow them as well. I think the their Instagram is is hilarious, and mm-hmm. and you know, 
those are people that could go into politics one day because they have such an enormous <laughs> following. Um, and yeah, and just to, conversely, look at Sarah Silverman, who's a, a progressive comedian. She's often very funny on Twitter and she's often very political on Twitter and she can be very coarse, but that is her brand and she knows her audience and she's not looking for a massive demographic like a Kevin Hart might. She's looking to kind of entertain her faithful and keep them in the loop. And I think she's probably pretty effective at that on Twitter. Yeah, she's she's a good example of polarity. You know, mm-hmm. she's definitely, you know what side she's on and she uses her their brand of humor to to, you know, express that. Um, yeah. But she can also be pretty state, straightforward in, in her statements and her message. Um, you know, I thought uh, the Taylor Swift, you know, um, backlash that she, she sort of received has been interesting because I think she stays above the fray um, very much like uh, Dwayne Johnson and, and Kevin Hart. And is there, is there a bigger pop star today than Taylor Swift? I don't think so. I, I don't think so either. And, and she is an incredibly seems to be a nice person. You know, she seems to be doing a lot of good for, for young women and girls. And, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting over the course of the weekend to see her become a target in in ways. Um, You know, and I'm glad that she's just kind of stayed her course, it seems through the process. Yeah, I think so too. Well, very, very, very cool topics to cover. Um, why don't we do this? Let's let's talk a little bit about the main question, um, which which I ask. It's you know really the point of this podcast. Are we more or less social because of social media? You and I met you know on social media, and um, you know I was watching your brand and you know gave you a follow. We ended up connecting on on uh, you know the direct message, but, you know, here we are a few days later and we're, we're actually interacting live. You know, we're connecting at a human level. I'm learning about right. you, you're learning about me. And I think that's something that, that, uh, you know, is important. And so I wanted to get your take on, on that. You know, how do you see um, social media affecting our lives um, and, and our ability to interact as humans? Well, I th- I'm going to cheat and give you a sort of a double answer because I do think that we're actually more social. And I think our our meeting up is one example. But I feel like there are – I'm in so many mini conversations each day with people on Twitter who I have no idea really who they are or where they live. But I kind of see their picture. I see their handle. And I kind of like their voice. And they, they may like my voice. So we go back and forth. We argue about things. We kind of share tips on different movies and TV shows. And none of that would be possible without the internet, without social media. So I think for that perspective, I, I feel like I've got cyber friends that I enjoy, that I share things with, and that frankly may help my career in, in, in a pragmatic way. So I think that's wonderful and great. And, and you know, same goes with Facebook where, you know, people from high school who I may think about from time to time, now I, I know what their kids look like. So, I mean, I think it's great. Having said that, there's a, is, is a level of discourse on social media that's gotten sour a neighbor who I'm very friendly with. She watches our kids and we watch their kids. And I also watch her on Facebook and she's, she's, you know, the talons come out and it gets pretty nasty. And yet to meet her, you could have a hundred interactions with her at a coffee shop and she would never show that side of her social media in a, in a click. So I, I think it, it allows us to be nastier than we should be, frankly, and nastier than we truly are. And I find that very upsetting. And that's just a sign of the times. 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting take because I do believe that people on social media feel like, you know, they they have a barrier that allows them to say things um, that they wouldn't do in person. Yeah. You know, they feel like they have some kind of anonymity and, and you know, in most cases, uh, if you're real about your brand, your social media brand, you know, you are who you are. Like, you know, I, I believe, are you verified on Twitter? I recently applied. I'm waiting for the results. Okay. So, so, but you, people know who you are. You use your name, you know, your name is your brand and, and mine is as well. And um, I'm actually, I, I, I got into uh, gab.ai. I don't know if you're familiar with that um, uh, social media network, but you know, I got verified within the first couple of weeks because they could verify that I am who I am. And anything that I tweet or, or gab or post is going to be, you know, from me. There's no, uh-huh. uh, there's no f- little egg picture with a weird name, <laughs> you know? And, and I think there's some, you know, there, there's some sense of uh, I'm protected uh, and my ability to say whatever I want is, is, you know, enabled by that feeling uh-huh. where, you know, it, people should take into consideration what they're saying you know, as if they were sitting down with somebody, I think. And this kind of goes back yeah. to our earlier discussion. I mean, you would not say some of the things that are being said online to someone's face, either for fear of upsetting them or getting <laughs> getting a bloody nose in response. So. Exactly, exactly. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was thinking about, you know, your comments and um, about being more social because of social media. And I, I tend to agree with that. And, and then I, I think to, you know, kind of the, the example of, of my wife, and I, I bring this up a lot, she works in a, in a really pretty high-end restaurant in Santa Monica. And she jokes that, you know, she has to approach the table uh, at exactly the right time so that mm-hmm. everybody that's at the table is done taking their perfect selfie or, <laughs> you know, they're taking the picture of the food or they're, you know, they, she, she really has to give them and she, you know, she'll walk by multiple times and everyone that's at the table is on their phone. They're not interacting personally at the table. You know, it's like they're someplace else. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I was listening to um, the Nerdist podcast not too long ago. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but I really enjoy uh, the Nerdist and, and David Schwimmer was on and he was talking about how on Netflix, all the friends episodes are available for binge watching. And they found that the demographic that is mostly into um, the, the show are like pre millennials. They're like, you know, they're teens and they're, you know, they're absorbing and just completely caught up in this show. And, and uh, Chris Hardwick asked him, you know, why do you think that is? And he said, well, you know, if you walked into a room with seven friends you know, and they were all sitting on the couch, they don't know what it seems like for people to actually be talking to each other because they're all on their phones. You know, they're <laughs> all, you know, they're all Snapchatting and they're all, you know, uh, you know, Instagram living and they're all tweeting and they're all text messaging and, and they're not interacting with each other. So to see these people in a funny way interacting every day in somebody's apartment is just foreign to them. I thought that was a really interesting take on social media today. What do you, what do you think about that? I agree. It's funny. I, I, I thought that one of the re- reasons why the show was so successful, is because I think in life, our friends often disappoint us. And in that particular show, those friends never disappointed each other, really. I mean, there'd be squibbles, but there was always sort of a, uh, a, a sense they had your back. But I, yeah, I mean, I think 
sometimes I'll watch a movie and it'll be set pre maybe in the eighties or seventies and the lack of technology I find refreshing as much as I rely on technology and social media every single day. So yeah, I, I get it. I think that's interesting. And I, I, you know, you mentioned the selfies, you know, <laughs> I went ice skating recently and it was a clogged rink and half the people there were taking selfies and basically taking up space the rules and, and then, you know, letting the crowd circle around the ring. So yeah, there, there are things about our culture, which are dispiriting. And one of them is that we don't talk to each other enough. So, you know, it's great that you and I connect on social media, but the same token, if we were in the same room, I kind of hope we put the phones down. Yeah. And, and I'm, I do make it a point. My wife's been really good at reminding me to disconnect when we're together, whether it's in a, you know, in our living room, watching a show or, we're out to dinner or, or what have you that the phone, you know, really doesn't come out, you know, uh, and, and I, I do practice that when I'm with other people, it's something that has been, you know, a, a, a work in progress for me to do, you know? Um, and I, I actually, you know, I'm just amazed at how much, you know, we can escape from where we are presently and, you know, that's where social media takes me, you know, it takes me away from where I am in the moment. Uh And if I'm with you right now, there's nothing else going on. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not, you know, I don't care how many notifications I've gotten. You and Uh I are connecting on a personal level. And I want to carry that out into the real world when I, when I meet people and I'm interacting with them. That's not to say if I'm, you know, at an airport, which I spend a lot of time in airports traveling, you know, that I don't notice the fact that everyone is on their phones and nobody's <laughs> looking up. And I am guilty of that. You know, I am, you know, from the time I hit the airport to the, you know, to the waiting area, to the time I get on the flight, all the way through the flight, I'm on my phone the whole time. You know, I'm not talking to the people sitting left or right of me. And I should do that probably more, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to at least engage a little bit. Yeah, it's it just it's the 21st century. It's it's what it is. So it's and we have to model our behavior for our kids too. Uh, my my youngest, actually my oldest, is addicted to his Kindle, and he, what he's what does he see? He sees dad on Twitter 24 seven. So I think I I may not be doing what I, what I should be doing, frankly. Oh yeah, it's amazing how how they learn from us. You know, I I have a, a two year old daughter who is, she knows how to swipe left and right. She knows how to <laughs> navigate on the on the you know her tablet and on our phones. In fact, uh-huh. my wife was saying this morning, she goes, I can't attach a picture to, to a message to you because Piper changed something on my phone. <laughs> like, great. I'll, I'll check it out when I get home later. You know, it's just, uh-huh. it's amazing how quickly uh, it all changes. What was the movie a few years ago? Yeah. Um, it was like the artificial intelligence relationship Oh, was it her? Yes, her. Scarlett Johansson and, and Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, that movie <laughs> is so appropriate, I think, yeah. even today in 2017. Yeah, and also check out Black Mirror Season 3, the first episode. It's on Netflix. It's all about social media and your social worth. It's fascinating and creepy at the same time. Well, I'll definitely link those in the uh, in the show notes. and. Okay. Um, you know, any other suggestions you have from a, from a, you know, pop culture or, or uh, entertainment perspective that, that the listeners would might enjoy. 
Sure. Two quick recommendations about streaming. One is The Infiltrator, which is on Amazon Prime. It's with Brian Cranston. Came out later last year. Didn't get much love from critics of the box office, but it's a terrific movie. He plays an undercover agent in the 1980s. I, I really just thought it was great. So if you get a chance, check that out. And also Sing Street came out last year. It's on Netflix streaming as we speak. It's a great 80s uh, comedy romance. It's got a little bit of everything, but nostalgia to the core. Great music. Check it out. It's one of my favorite movies from last year. And I, I just, I think it's going to get a cult following pretty quickly, but jump ahead of the curve and check it out now. It's called Sing Street. Can you spell that? Yep. S-I-N-G street, like a street you live on. Okay, perfect. And then any, any podcast recommendations we've, you know, of course we're going to, you know, promote, um, you know, uh, your podcast, uh, Hollywood in Toto, but what other podcasts do you, do you recommend? Well, from a pop culture perspective, there's a new one that I really enjoy. It's called the franchise where these two very funny movie fans talk about movie franchises like, you know, the Bond films or the Friday the 13th. And they, they do it sort of from an acerbic point of view. I enjoy that one a lot. Also, there's a Midnight Movie Cowboys is one I've just kind of recently discovered, which is solid. And then from the social media perspective, you know, I think all the, the classics, I, I enjoy Entrepreneur on Fire just from an inspirational point of view. Uh, the Smart Passive Income is great as well. Social Media Examiner with Michael Stelzner. He's sort of an icon in the field. So I, I'm going to guess a lot of your listeners are checking those out already, but if you haven't, please do so. Oh, that's great. Those are great recommendations. And I'll throw in uh, Marketing in Your Car which is by Russell oh, Brunson. I referred him uh, or referenced him earlier. Um, it's there about five to six minutes. He literally is in his car driving to or from work and he just records a podcast. And I've actually started to do that. Uh, some of my most recent podcasts are very short. I'm just commuting from one place to another. I've actually found a new microphone that uh, I can connect to my phone that makes it for a more clear sound. And so I've been experimenting wow. with that. So I don't, I don't necessarily have to have, you know, the full podcast rig with the headphones and the, mm -hmm. and the microphone. I can podcast on a topic while I'm driving in the car, sort of ripping off his idea. But in the end, it's, you know, getting something that's on my mind out there onto the podcast. And you and I both know it's about content and having a regular stream of content that you can and share with your audience. And that's, that's the way to grow your audience. So um, I love that. I'm, in, I'm, uh, I'm uh, intimidated by your technology, but I also want to do the same. So yeah, well, uh, check it out. I'll send you a link to that one as well. So, cool. well, Christian, this has been outstanding. I really appreciate your time. I've, I've enjoyed, you know, meeting you and talking to you and I look forward to, you know, uh, following you on Twitter. Why don't you share with the audience, how they can find you, your website, your, your social media handles, where, the, where can they find you? Sure. Uh, the website is hollywoodintoto.com. Uh, the podcast is the Hollywood in Toto podcast. You can hear it on iTunes and Stitcher and Spreaker and SoundCloud, tuned in all over. And then my, web, uh, my Twitter handle is at Hollywood in Toto. Perfect. Well, that's great. Well, thank you again so much. Um, if, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you like it, please share it with people. Also, uh, you can find us on iTunes, the How Social Are You podcast. Uh, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and any comments. That certainly helps the podcast. You can also find us on Google Play and Stitcher and Spreaker and somewhat on SoundCloud. We're working on that, and I'll be launching a website uh, in the near future. You can also uh, 
Uh, find me on Twitter at M Lindheimer, on Instagram at M Lindheimer, and on Facebook at M E Lindheimer. And lastly, you can email me at M Lindheimer at gmail.com. So uh, thank you again, Christian. It's been a pleasure. Same here. And uh, thanks for everybody listening and look forward to uh, sharing more uh, great interviews with you in the future. Thanks, everybody. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.